Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is the incredible romance author, Aurora Ray. Hello, Aurora. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. This is this is the third in our series for February celebrating romance because, you know, Valentine's Day and everything. Of course. So, yeah. So, uh, I appreciate you being here. This is actually your third time on the show. It is. I, I realize that we, we've had the chance to chat a couple times and it's always so much fun. So I thank know. you for having me back. No, I love talking to you and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's always a pleasure. So, um, Aurora, you have this incredible book coming out. Um, it's a romance and it is called Greener Pastures. Can you tell us about that and when it's going to be released and where we can find it? Yeah, I would love to. Um, Greener Pastures is, um, a book set I've sort of come back to my made-up town in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes region. And it's the story of Audrey, who is uh, a CPA who works for a big firm in New York City. Um, and she comes to uh, the small town in upstate New York when her great aunt, who's who's been like a parent to her, has a stroke. Um, and this aunt has a hobby farm. And so the aunt's in the hospital, the aunt's in rehab, but it's it's not the ant that needs taking care of, it's the farm. And so she sort of comes in and tries to keep things afloat. And she meets the next door neighbor who is a cider maker um, in, in, in the area. And of course, the, the neighbor is all, only too happy to help um, until Audrey learns that um, the neighbor is actually good friends with, with the aunt, um, whose name is Ernestine. And um, they have an arrangement where the uh, cider maker gets to harvest all of the apples from from the ant's orchard and is actually angling to buy the land for her own cider making ventures. Um, and so Audrey feels a little bit duped and they have a little bit of back and forth. But of course, it's a romance. And so uh, they hate each other until they can't resist kissing each other. Awesome. Awesome. So when is this due out? It is out in April. Wow. So that's very soon, right? Um, it is. I just finished doing the, the page proofs for it. So it is off to the presses. Awesome. Well, we are looking forward to that. So um, I was on, I don't even know. It was a while ago, a lo- maybe a year ago, on some kind of uh, webcast. And I think you were on a panel. And I don't know, I don't remember, but maybe you were challenged to include something in your next novel. Um, and and you did in this one. Um, <laughs> You're talking about secret baby goats, I'm you? talking about, yes, baby goats. <laughs> they are adorable. Um, yeah, it. I was doing, you know, when the pandemic started, uh, Bold Strokes, uh, as well as GCLS, started doing all these fantastic virtual events. Um, It's never as good as being in person, but it's been so nice to connect with other authors and to be able to connect with readers. And one of the the sort of 
amusing perks of, of doing these panels on Zoom is that the panel's happening, but there's the chat role. Um, and, and folks are, you know, just talking amongst themselves and responding to yeah. what, what folks on the panel are saying. And somehow um, someone started talking about secret baby romances, which in straight romance is like a thing. There are so many secret baby stories. You don't get a lot of them in lesbian stories or, or women loving women stories for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made a joke about baby goats and that somehow became secret baby goats. Um, <laughs> and so it, I said that it was going to happen, that there was going to be a secret baby goat romance. And of course this isn't, uh, all about that, but there are unexpected baby goats in this story. So if you, if you're a fan of the goats, um, and when you love a little goat humor and some babies kind of popping onto the scene, you're, you're going to love this book. <laughs> yes. I was, <laughs> I just laughed when I came across that part. I loved it. And I love their names. That's just so special. So that's great. Yeah. It, I, I love to name animals, you know, great names that you wouldn't necessarily name humans. And so uh, we've got Ozzy and Harriet. And then I guess I'll, I'll let the baby names be, be a secret for, okay. for reasons to, okay. to discover. But I really think that this needs to be a thing. I, I have used the hashtag secret baby goat romance but i'm pretty sure i'm the only it's you know it's like it's been used like 10 times and i it's me all every time like it's not cut on sadly you you know i'm gonna use it now (laughs) (laughs) secret baby goat romance dames yeah we're gonna we're gonna start a whole the whole trend okay let's do it a whole (laughs) subgenre that's awesome That's awesome. So it was an incredible book and listeners, you, you've got to get this one. It comes out April 1st. It's called Greener Pastures. Um, So Aurora, since it is the love month, right? um, What is romance writing about for you? Um, What attracts you to this genre? Because I don't recall that, that you've ever written anything outside of this. Have you? I I have not not anything that's been published at least. Um, <laughs> okay. And so I think you know I love like the idea of love, right? I think that's that's kind of typical. Mm-hmm. I really love human dynamics and and the way that people come together and relate to one another. You know, when you throw love and sex into the mix, like it's just super interesting. But I think more than anything else, I love that that romances promise happily ever after. Mm-hmm. I, I love the promise of that. I love the sort of radical optimism of that. I think optimism is kind of radical these days. And so um, I sort of hold on to that. I honestly get true anxiety when I like read other genres, when I watch movies, um, I, I look to, to sort of my entertainment for, for amusement and pleasure, but comfort as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. no other genre delivers the way romance does. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Even romance causes me anxiety. Like when you get that, that part in the middle where they just, you know, uh, kind of like are like magnets that are demagnetized. 
um, yeah, so that causes me anxiety. So I'm right there with you. Um, and and have you ever, like you said, not published? So you've written other genres and just kind of dabbled a little bit? Yeah, I when I was a senior in college, my, my honors thesis for my English major was a work of fiction. And it was... It was kind of a, a queer romance, but it was more of a, a YA coming of age novel mm. uh, that, you know, I, is so painfully dated now. I don't know if it will ever like I don't know if resurrecting it ever make, would make sense at this point, but it was fun. Um, I have I work in higher ed and so I have read a lot and have considered writing what's sort of known as, as a campus novel or a college novel. It's kind of the the sort of ups and downs and, you know, hilarious misadventures of, of, of faculty and administrators and college students. Um, so I might do that one day. Um, that would be hysterical. I, I feel like I need some distance from actually working at a college though. I have a folder of of my email where I save sort of the, the most choice, ridiculous emails that I am privy to, but (laughs) I I love it. To protect the innocent or the not so innocent that I'll have to maybe when I like leave higher ed one day <laughs> that can happen. Understood. Understood. And and even after you leave, people will be like, is that me? Is that me she's writing about? Like, you know, uh, you'll, you'll probably get a lot of uh, emails or phone calls about it for sure. Um, and there's a lot of yeah, drama. Just like go off. Yeah, there's a lot of drama in higher ed, for sure. <laughs> um, so what do you think is the most romantic scene that you have ever written? And and then that could be in any of your books. You know, you, you sent me questions ahead of time, and I... That's supposed I to be our secret. Oh, well, you gave me a few. I, I think it's really <laughs> kind to give... Um, especially introverts, a little bit of a sneak peek. I'm sure they'll be surprised. So I just want everyone to sneak peek of I just want everyone to look good and, you know, so. That's very kind of you. (laughs) Um, I am not ashamed to admit I do better with, with questions in advance, although I shouldn't admit this because I actually didn't come up with one. Um, Because I think, sometimes the most romantic scenes Mm -hmm. are actually some of the, the most subtle, you know, it rather than the sort of like big orchestrated romantic evening, which is lovely and can be fun. It's sometimes those unexpected nights um, or days or, or sort of moments between characters Mm -hmm. um, that, that sort of stick with you and, and can have the most impact um so true and and you know one of my questions to you was um like in your opinion does art imitate life or does life imitate art and you kind of just answered it right uh because it is those subtle moments that you write you know that you're writing about that um that that happen in everyday life that are sometimes the most romantic um you know, it's not that the big gestures all the time. Yeah, I think sometimes the the gestures can be really nice and they can be really thoughtful. But I've also been in situations where the 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 gestures were about 
kind of the showiness of the gesture more than the connection between the people. Um, Not to sound jaded or anything, but. (laughs) Not at all. Sometimes it's about, it's about the person doing the giving rather than the receiver. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so I I think I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick those more subtle moments. I think, you know, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is, um, you know, the, the last place you look was a very self-indulgent book for me. It was sort of like kind of a, a, a fantasy of, you know, finding love after coming out of a relationship. And, you know, one of the scenes in there is actually, it's not even the characters aren't dating. They haven't kissed yet. Um, but they spend an evening together after, after the, the character who's decided to sort of put herself out there and date everybody and, you know, sleep around and just have fun, you know, has a disastrous date. And so she comes over just to decompress and they're sort of hanging out as friends. Um, and I think that evening turns into one of, one of the, a really romantic moment, even though they're not, they're not even sort of flooring into romance yet. Yeah. At least not intentionally. It's, it's an intimate night, um, you know, just as friends. Um, yeah. And maybe that's where I blur the line is that like intimacy, that kind of emotional intimacy feels deeply romantic. And so I'm, I'm sort of, I'm blurring the lines a little. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. You can blur the lines. You can do that. <laughs> so, uh, does art imitate life or do you think life imitates art or, or is it blurred? I, I think it's absolutely both. And that might be a cheating answer, but, <laughs> um, I, I think, I think it's impossible to create art, whether it's, it's something written or, or another medium, um, without having sort of life and your experiences and your surroundings influence you. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I've, I have been deeply inspired and in, as a, as a human being in my personal life and, and my endeavors and my adventures and my misadventures, mm-hmm. uh, from, from the books and the movies and the paintings, um, and the poetry and, and the movies, um, that I've, I've sort of experienced and consumed. So I think it goes both ways. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I I agree. I agree. I think, you know, we take all that in, um, and, uh, you know, it, it turns us into better human beings. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, therefore, we're more creative um, and uh, do better work. So, um, yeah, for sure. So, if if you had to date one of your characters, who would it be? <laughs> oh, I do. I love that question. <laughs> you know, I think. I was pretty proud of myself for that one. (laughs) I think you fall in love with your characters a little bit. And if you're writing romance, if you don't fall in love with your characters a little bit, you're not doing it right. Um, But, you know, I tend to write butch femme stories and I am femme identified and definitely have the soft spot for the butches. So it it sort of cuts that down to to sort of half my characters, I suppose. True. Um, I, I think at this point, my answer would probably 
to, to go back to the last place you look, um, the character of Taylor was written um, very much from a, a sort of place of a little bit of personal experience and a lot of personal longing. Um, and it was a moment in time. I don't, I don't think that's going to be always and forever my answer, but today that's my answer. Okay. For today, just for today. So Taylor, was that, was she the furniture maker? Yes. Okay. All right. After I put a book down, sometimes I just can't recall because I'll just read one after the other. Um, and sometimes, oh, it's yeah. So true. Yeah. And the names, it, sometimes the, the names all blur together. Even I was thinking the other day and I was like, I couldn't remember the names of characters in a couple of my own books. I know. I know. You're right. Especially when, um, you know, they're not uh, like a, a, a name you hear all the time, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know any tailors in real life. So, um, so like I, I follow you on social media, right? And and mm-hmm. you always seem to be busy. You always seem to be, you know, on your tractor or camping, hiking, doing something. So how do you find time to write? Because you do have a full-time job in, uh, you know, academics. And uh, you manage to produce uh, a few books every year. Well, how do you do that? What's your secret, Aurora Ray? Well... Um, a lot of my projects aren't finished. (laughs) Uh, Only half the pastures got mowed at all this year. Um, so, uh, you know, I tend to post the little victories more than I post the, I'm sitting on the couch like a potato with a frozen pizza moment. (laughs) Don't we all? Which is one of the, the sort of, you know, realities of social media, I suppose. Yes. Um, but for me, I do the majority of my writing, probably two thirds to three quarters of my writing is done in, in 45 minute to one hour chunks before I go to work in the morning. Really? I I get up a little on the early side. What time do you get out of bed in the morning? Six. Okay. Um, That's pretty good. So That's good. It was five thirty for a while, but six um, I leave for work about quarter to eight. So um, it gives me enough time. And I, I sit down with my coffee and I've, my, my brain is the best in the morning. Um, and so I, I, I can usually crank out on most good days, close to 500 words in, in the morning. Um, so if I do that most days of the week and then do a little bit on the weekends, occasionally in the evenings, but I, I, I tend to be a little fried. Um, but yeah. I think I'm one of those yeah. people who, I do well with structure um, and deadlines. And so having that limited amount of time in the morning, I sort of joke that if I have 45 minutes before work, I write 500 words. If I have an entire Saturday afternoon, I write 500 words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not always true. Sometimes I have, you know, I I have big push days, especially when I fall behind. But um, I, I think those those smaller chunks, like 20 minute, the, everybody talks about the Pomodoro method, mm-hmm. like a couple of like 20 minute kind of focused sessions and then kind of in permission to walk away is, is how I, I get the most done. 
Wow, that's great. That's funny you should say the Pomodoro method. That's the second time I've heard that in the last two hours. <laughs> yeah, I was just listening. I went for a walk. And I was listening to this podcast and this neuropsychiatrist, psychologist, he was talking about that and uh, how that's so good for your brain. Um, so It's see, funny. I, you're helping I use you. it. Yeah. I don't always call it that, but I was listening to a podcast as well. Not, it was not a neuropsychologist. Um, but they were talking about being creative when you feel overwhelmed or uninspired, this sort of like, you can do anything for 20 minutes. Yes. And so even if you sit down for 20 minutes and write two sentences, you're, you're cultivating creativity or you're cultivating a practice that's important to you and that you want to do. That's true. It's true. All right. Now you've inspired me to write for 20 minutes every morning. I'm going to try it because I can't do it af after work. I, you know, after oh. my day job, I, I'm fried. Totally fried. It, I, Melissa Braden always says that she writes more, more technically precise during the day, but she takes more risks and is bolder at night. And I love that. Like, I love the way it sounds and the way it feels and I want to try it. And then I sit down at night and I just like stare into space. <laughs> so I, you know, I, yeah, we take it where we can get it. I that, think that's it. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. So, um, you know, I read, I think it was like a, maybe a new year's day blog or something that, that you wrote. Um, Oh, oh Lord. That, yeah. <laughs> Well, you blogged about Pride and Prejudice and, you know, your reflections on really being a hopeless romantic. Um, and, and I got to tell you, that was very gutsy of you, by the way. Like, it really, and, and you know, that's why I love talking to you, because you're so honest and real. And, Aww. yeah, it's so, like, I loved that blog. Um, and, um you know, with being a hopeless romantic, do you, what impact do you think that has on writing romantic fiction? I, I think it comes back to that, that notion of optimism and sort of believing that, that we can find people and fall in love with people who who make us happy, but also make us our best selves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I want to believe in. Um, it's funny because it's become a tradition for, for me to write those blogs on New Year's. And often, um, if I'm spending New Year's alone and I'm drinking some wine, I get a little bit, I can get a little bit morose and sort of wonder if, if I want to be Elizabeth, but I'm destined to be Charlotte, right? That's <laughs> yeah. the big deal. Like, maybe I should just settle for Mr. Collins. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that it's sort of beside the point, right? I yeah. think, I think Jane Austen does a really good job of sort of kind of helping people kind of end up with who their, their appropriate match is, right? Who mm -hmm. suits what they, who they are and what they want and what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's fun. I feel like this year I, I sort of went rogue and I, I, I jumped on the Darcy train because, you know, I, I saw this tweet ages ago and it really stayed with me of, of why this has been like my favorite book for most of my life. And it's that 
that Darcy is the is the sort of hero of the book, you know, mm-hmm. albeit you know cis straight white hero of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it he actually like he changes and he he does the work. He he realizes like all the missteps that he's made and he tries to make it right. Um, and, and, and sort of thinking about that and, and sort of the ability of love to transform us into better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds really like cheesy and self-helpy. I'm on a self-help train these days. So I suppose it comes with the territory. I love that. Uh, but it's that it's that like, not just that you fall in love with someone who makes you happy, but, but you fall in love with someone who inspires you to do better and be better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what being in a relationship, a healthy relationship is all about, right? It's not being with someone who holds you down or, you know, is critical. It's with being someone who encourages you to be your best and, and do your best, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And not in a, and and I'm I'm learning my sort of recent revelation. See, this is turning into a psychology podcast, not a, a fiction one. That's all right. It's but up that, my alley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not just about <clears throat> like accomplishing more and being more successful or being more productive. Sometimes being your best self is learning how to like step back and slow down and be still. Yeah. Um, so I just I have to throw that caveat in because I think I spent a lot of my life thinking of like you know always sort of more bigger better mm-hmm. and sometimes less <laughs> and quieter is is actually the answer so yeah uh, it's a, a broad definition of you know being and doing better this is really one of my cheesy anita isms that i used to tell my clients but you know we are not human doings we are human beings and we don't have to do anything to be loved we just have to be ourselves right it is profound wisdom that so many of us take our whole lives to figure out (laughs) it's true yeah 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 that's true we do a lot to try to win people's love and you know uh we don't have to do that that's not the right person for us so so back to your blog um yeah (laughs) yeah you shared that your new year's resolution um which was only like i don't know five weeks ago but it seems like so much longer (laughs) than that right um that your resolution was to do my best hope for the best and try not to worry so much so I just wanted to check in and, and see how that was going. You know, it's hit and miss. <laughs> yeah, okay, I hear that. I understand that. I, uh, I'm an overthinker by nature, and so um, I, I, do, I do tend to worry. I don't, I'm not a deeply anxious person, but I'm sort of an always kind of thinking and figuring and sorting person. And I, I, I do think one of the... I don't think I'm succeeding all the time, but I'm at least more cognizant um, of the fact that at this point in my life, I think I think the answers and the wisdom I need is not going to come from thinking my way through something. Mm-hmm. It's going to come from feelings and sort of sitting quietly and trusting instinct. 
Um, and so um, I, I do think I'm, I'm at least learning and accepting that I need to cultivate that, even if I'm not managing to do it successfully on a daily basis yet. <laughs> it's so hard to sit with your feelings, right? It oh, really is. Hard. It is. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things I think humans can do. And, and we have so many distractions and we look for so many distractions and we don't even know we're doing it. Um, you know, we just get away from those yucky feelings. <laughs> so, so would you say you're a strategizer then? Like more strategic yeah. in nature? My, my therapist, uh, likes to call it, I'm a manager. I, I, okay. When confronted with difficult or challenging situations or conflict or things that, that, that stir up feelings, I, I go into manager mode. Um, and I just sort of like, I handle the situation, yes. which isn't all bad. No. Um, necessarily. Um, and it usually uh, can, can sort of get to a resolution and sort of leave everyone feeling okay. But it's, I, I'm learning that that only gets me so far. Um, but that's probably why you're good at your day job. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, but it is when it comes to relationships, it, it sort of, it, it stops you at a certain point because it's, it's the, the being vulnerable and sort of letting your, I don't know, I don't have the answers, I need help hang out, that, that growth and connection and all that good stuff happens. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yep. Like, see, th we're, this is this is just this is a is this the therapy podcast? <laughs> You're gonna have to do have to rename and rebrand everything. Okay, or write a book about therapy. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm a fixer by nature. I totally understand where you're coming from. I just want to fix things. You got a problem? I'm gonna fix it. I'm, I'm there. This is going on, and I and I want to make a connection. Oh, I know this person over here. They can do this for you. They can connect with you and fix your problem. You know, um, and that's how I operate in the world. And you know, I've I've learned to nope. Everybody doesn't need that. Just sit down and listen. That's all they need. Yeah. You know, it is. I have I have gotten a little bit better, um, especially with people that I'm close with, and sort of there's that pre-established trust is like, okay, do you, do you need empathy or problem solving right now? Yes. And it's, it's kind of a disarming question, but most often people can like stop for a second and decide which one they need. And then, you know, I can, I can act accordingly because I think sometimes we don't, for fixers, we jump into the fix it mode and it's not always the answer. Sometimes it is, but not always. Not always. No, but that is a great, a great question. And, you know, I think more people need to do that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and people need to be aware of what they need or what they're asking for from someone too. Um, for sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a great kind of connector in relationships. So awesome. Um, so what, or, or maybe not what, but let's just describe your most romantic Valentine experience. And it could be um, <clears throat> just an experience you, you've had 
or an experience you've written about or read about or think about? Um, That's a heavy sigh. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a hard question? You know, know it is um, because sort of like my answer about the sort of more subtle moments, I think, I think Valentine's day has such a like societal and capitalistic, like kind of infrastructure now. Yeah. Um, the, the, the sort of day of Valentine's and the sort of idea of Valentine's, it doesn't do it. I don't want to say it doesn't do it for me. I'm, I'm sounding for a romance author. I'm sounding kind of, <laughs> but, um, I think, you know, when I think about the, the relationships, you know, I have in my life now, the ones that I've had in the past, the best Valentines are actually the ones where it's like, yeah, let's not, you know, squeeze ourselves in for a dinner reservation or go, oh, dear Lord, you go to the grocery store Valentine's Day or the day before and the number of like dudes wandering around like deer in the headlights, like clutching <laughs> clamshells of chocolate covered strawberries. And like, That's is my bouquet big enough? His bouquet is bigger than, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the moments of like avoiding all that. And, you know, I, I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. I love to cook, you know, cooking a meal together and sort of intentionally kind of pausing, maybe processing about work or like watching mindless TV and just sort of having, lovely intentional time together with wine and candles or, or sort of whatever, like that's, that's where the best Valentine's day comes from. And I think, I think if anything, Valentine's can be a good prompt to do that and to, to sort of be intentional about that when, you know, life can get busy and hectic and, and you lose, lose that. Hopefully you don't limit it just to Valentine's day, but I think if anything, it's a nice prompt to, to focus on that sort of feel good squishiness. Yeah. It's like all the holidays have become just way too commercialized. Um, And it's not about the experience anymore. It's about what you can buy for someone or, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's different. Um, But that, that's awesome. So I think, what you just described as your Valentine experience um, or romantic experience is um, something that we've adopted for this year. We've decided that we're not spending our time, money, energy on things that we are, <clears throat> excuse me, spending them on experiences. Um so that's what 2022 is going to be about. I love that. I think it's a great philosophy. Yeah. Um, hopefully that, that works out. I don't know. I've already purchased something on (laughs) eBay. (laughs) I mean, we're never going to rid ourselves of all the things. Although I confess, I got a little sucked into the, the sort of Marie Kondo phenomenon and I've, uh, I've done my closet. I haven't done the rest of my house, but I, I do find it's sort of this point in my life having less stuff actually feels better. And I'll never be a minimalist. I mean, if you like to cook, if you're a DIYer, you've got 
yeah. tools and gadgets, yeah. like that'll never go away. Yeah. But, um, yeah, to, to focus on more experiences, um, yeah. than, than just things. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, hopefully it'll be a better life, better year. Yeah. So, um, do you think, I mean, you've published like so many books. Um, I don't even know how many, do you know off the top of your head, how many books you have published? I, I, I think, I think I'm writing number 15. Wow. Okay. But you know, that's sort of a little ways out and it's always a little tricky, right? Cause I don't, you don't count novellas, but I've done like three of those now. I have the two books that I co-authored with Jamie. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a slippery number. Okay. Uh, so I try not to focus too much on it, but it's been a really exciting, almost not quite decade since I started writing, you know, seriously and with, with sort of the hope and intention of being published. And has it really been, been a decade? Not quite. I, I mean, my, I did national novel writing month okay. in 2013, I believe. Um, and then after that, so I wrote my first novel that got published in 2014. It didn't come out, I think until 2015. So it doesn't seem that long, but you know, the publishing, it takes like a year to get from manuscript to, to published when you're, when you're working with, with an established publisher. So and, it uh, feels a little longer in my head. What was, what was that book? My first published book? Yeah. It was Winter's Harbor. Oh, um, okay. Set in Provincetown. That became the first book in the Cape Inn series, but I wasn't necessarily intending it to be a series at that time. I wrote it, and then I wrote a couple of other books, Built to Last and Crescent City Confidential. And then I just wanted an excuse to write more books set in Provincetown. <laughs> I love those so, books. I, I And you just said uh, Crescent City Confidential. Um, and built to last. Those are some of my favorites. I just love all your books. You're an awesome writer, really. So thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. So, um, how has like being a published author enriched your life? I mean, uh, on a on a super sort of personal individualistic level, it has it has given me a, a sort of daily practice of, of being creative. Nice. I think, you know, throughout college into grad school, I wanted to be a writer and I spent a lot of time in coffee shops writing a half a page of something and daydreaming about being a writer, but I didn't, I never finished anything. I never, I didn't stick with things and then I didn't do it sort of daily. And so I think now that I'm published, now that I'm, I, I'm under contract sort of to, to sort of continue writing, mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm required to, but I choose to, to contract books so that I have deadlines. It, it, it has nudged me into this daily practice of writing that feeds my, my sort of need to be creative. And that's really lovely. Um, but I think even more than that, it's the people it's, it's this amazing community of writers and readers who, who love literature, who love romance who love queer and sapphic stories um and it feels like you know maybe for the first time in my life that i found my 
my people. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something I couldn't have even dreamed about growing up as a straight. I thought I was straight. I was super Catholic. I was raised in the South. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't even wrap my head around, um, that this world existed. And I just am so grateful to be a part of it. Wow. Did you go to Catholic school too? For high school, I did. Okay. Boarding school. Even. Whoa. But was it all girls? It was all girls, but it was wasted on me because I thought I was straight. Now, in hindsight, the sort of like things that I thought of was like platonic crushes were obviously not platonic. <laughs> um, at the time, I thought I was straight. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I went to Catholic school all my life, even Catholic college, started Catholic grad school. Yeah. So uh, I think my father should have been a priest. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, you mentioned that you are currently working on something. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually, um, I just, I, I'm, I'm doing the first kind of round of edits on a book called Hard Pressed. Um, and it's not... It's not a sequel to Greener Pastures, but it does, it's a, it's a shared world. Um, Rowan, who is the cider maker in Greener Pastures, mm-hmm. her, her best cool. friend and business partner is um, Dylan Marshall. And um, so this story is, is about Dylan and a, a rival cider maker. Um, and I, it, it's one of my favorite stories because, you know, book titles, you know, sometimes they come to you real quick and sometimes they're they're a struggle. Mm-hmm. And as I was floundering and looking for a, a title for greener pastures, um, I was thinking about cider and I came up with the idea of hard pressed and I just sort of became very enamored with it as a title, but it didn't really fit greener pastures. Greener pastures is much more of like a, a foodie hobby farm book. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I, I was so enamored with the title. I'm like, I'm going to write a book <laughs> that's all about cider. That, you know, I, I got a little, I got a little tease. I got a little pushback from, from Sandy at Bold Strokes because she's like, it sounds, you know, it sounds like edgier sex, uh-huh. you know, all different. And so. Sounds like porn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I managed to soften it. The cover has cider bottles and an apple and a heart. So you sort of get that cider is where it comes from. Yeah. But they get to like, it's not true enemies to lovers. I don't. I don't know if I write sort of true to that um, trope, but it's a little, it's for me, it's kind of more in that realm of enemies to lovers. And I, I maybe went, I pushed the envelope a tiny bit. It's, <laughs> it is not erotic romance by any stretch of the imagination, but I, uh, I went a little further with some of the, the sex scenes that I might've otherwise. So it was all fun and all the whole book came about because I wanted to use that title. That's awesome. You wrote a book around the title. I did. That's great. That is really great. I don't think I have ever heard that before. So that's so cool. That's unique. So will we see Rowan and Audrey in Hard Pressed? Yes. You right. you will get to see a little bit of them and, and sort of catch up with them a bit. Um, and maybe and... some secret baby goats. <laughs> you know, the the I don't the goats don't get really screen time in in this second one oh. because it's it's more in the world of cider making. Uh, yeah. But 
Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm looking forward to that. I love those characters. I love the character of Dylan. Uh, I, I think I'm going to, and I'm going to apparently have to write another secret baby goat romance. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out how to make that happen. Maybe those secret baby goats grow up and have their own secret baby goats. Maybe they do. Yeah. Oh. Oh, That's great. So, um, Aurora, if, if one of our listeners, um, has never read any of your work, and, you know, they're just being introduced to Aurora Ray. Uh, what book would you suggest that they start with? You know, I think I, I always flounder because you're not supposed to have favorites, right? Yeah. But everyone always asks, what's your favorite or what's a good one to start with? But I like this question because it's not your favorite. It's like, what is sort of quintessentially your your style? Mm-hmm. And I, I think to that end, I would probably pick Recipe for Love. Um, it's another farmer and a chef. I'm, I'm a foodie and like butch femme foodie romance is like kind of your niche, some gardening or farming, but it's like foodie romances are, are sort of the, the heart of, of who I am. And so I think that's a good, a good one to start with. Okay. I, I remember that one that's in upstate New York too, right? It is. Um, it's, it's all, it's fun to create these kind of somewhat fictionalized worlds based, you know, loosely on, on the area where I live. Yeah. Um, all the books stand alone, but you can drop in fun little Easter eggs of, of things, you know, the characters in, in greener pastures, or is it, I'm confused now, hard pressed. They blur together cause I've been editing and proofing. Yeah. I think, you know, the greener, somebody goes to the restaurant that's featured in, in recipe for love. So you get to drop in these little Easter eggs and, and sort of nods oh, to the cool. store. That's so cool. So recipe for love, is that the, the farm to table? It is the farm to table. Okay. So it's, uh, All right. it's Anna, the farmer and uh, drew the chef who, yep. Who comes up from New York City to yes to do the farm to table restaurant? Yep, I thought so. Yep. Okay, saw coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Aurora, do you have any parting words for our listeners? You know, only only gratitude. You know, for for people who who read the stories. You know, for people who spend their money on our on these stories, like it. It, I'm still in awe and it feels like such a, a gift from the universe that, that I, I get to actually, I, you know, not quit my day job money, but I'm, I'm leaning towards maybe a part-time uh, shift in my career. Thanks to, to the ability to, to write these books that, that people enjoy enough to, to spend their money on. So gratitude um, and, and love for, for all the readers out there and the listeners um, to this great podcast that you, you put out Um, but also like words, I think of encouragement. I think so many readers are also aspiring writers or kind of aspiring creatives in, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm reading some books. I'm listening to some podcasts now that are all about like, just kind of embracing and cultivating a creative life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the best things that, that we can do in that realm is just, encourage each other to to embrace that and do it even if it's scary or doesn't make you any money even if you're not great at it there's so many things you know 
I was not great at burlesque dancing when I did it, but I did it and it was fun and a whole different creative outlet. So whatever creative thing is calling to you, like just go out and grab it and do it and love it. And don't worry too much about the outcome. Those are great words to live by actually, right? Just uh, go for the gusto. Don't worry about what other people think, you know, about what you're doing or how well you're doing it or how well you're not doing it. Just do it because you're having fun and you enjoy it. Um, yeah. That that reminds me of that um, that movie with Meryl Streep um, where she, she played it. Uh, it was based on a true story about a woman who was uh, thought of herself as an opera singer. Do you recall that one? Oh, you know, I remember hearing about it, but I don't, I don't think I, I've seen it. Yeah, that was great. She did a great job. And, uh, the, I can't remember the woman's name. Um, but, um, she really could not sing very well, but she got up on stage. I think she, uh, sang at, at Carnegie Hall actually. Um, yeah. So it took guts, but she did it cause she loved it. Um, and no one told her, no one ever told her that she sang not well. <laughs> um, so it was cool. It's a great story. Um, I love that. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Great words to live by. So <laughs> that is all the time we have for today. Um, I want to thank Aurora Ray um, for being um, an awesome guest with us today. Um, you're always welcome back. I love talking to you. Um, our listeners love, you know, hearing from you. Um, and uh, I'm Anita Kelly. And thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books, baby. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted. Peace be plenty and be safe, folks. <laughs>